So, Jimmy, oh. you're eager to talk about your pants. So let's talk about your pants. My pants. Oh, yeah. I was talking. I'm like, <laughs> let's just start the podcast. Uh, no, the pants are, are well underway. They're being made this week. It's been a struggle. I, I'm not, I, every time I talk about them, I have to preface that with it's been a struggle. It's been a, a lot of work behind the scenes. I mean, the, the, biggest, the biggest problem is me and my business partner. He said no immediately. And I said, well, let's just give this a try. And now here we are almost two years later. And there's been a lot of struggles, a lot of arguments. It got to a point where I was just like, we could end this right now. I'm okay with it. I have no emotional attachment to it. And he's like, you know what? We've gone far enough. It looks cool. It's impressive. People want to know what you're up to. He goes, let's go forward with it. So for branding purposes, we did it. We sold 200 pairs and maybe 200 and change pairs and then 50, 25 jackets. And then we made an extra 50 pair of average sizes that will be available. So we are making that many and that's it. And then I'm hoping to find somebody to take over the licensing. I do not want to manufacture pants. I know Alec is doing it. I, I can only imagine the struggles he went through. I assume he hired somebody to deal with it, like I did. Christine has handled it from beginning to end. Christine used to work for Ralph Lauren, making jeans for Ralph Lauren. She used to have her own jean company, which was fairly successful for a minute. And that's all she's ever done is work on jeans. That's why her Instagram name is the godmother of denim. And when she met me, she really didn't have too much of a social media presence. She's a few years older than me, and she didn't really pay attention. And But with me, I helped her get a social media presence. She's building it up. And, uh, yeah, so it's been difficult. We're going to be shipping in the next few weeks. All the pants are being made in New York City, on like in the Garment Center in New York City. All the denim is all made in America, North America, I think. And all the brass has been made in America. It's all recycled brass. Like, like all the buttons and everything say that the rest of Maker Wear logo on them. It's been complicated. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. And when you compare it to like getting 2,000 knives made, wrapping them in newspaper and then putting them in the mail, that's, that's probably about 3,000 times more profitable than making pants, mm. which is negative, mm-hmm. probably 50% profitable. With all the complications hmm. and negative, all the, <laughs> with all the yeah, I'm not making money on the jeans at all. Like a lot of people are like, how can they be so expensive? To put it in perspective, to make one pair of jeans is a hundred dollars. I have a boat to pay for. That's what you're gonna say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, to make one pair of jeans is is over a hundred dollars because we're not making thousands of pairs. We're making under we're making under three hundred pairs. So that's like six different human beings touch the pants before they're done. Somebody sews this panel, somebody sews that panel, somebody does the belt waist part, somebody does, and then it all comes together at the end of a line. And that's in New York City in an office building. It's not so made I know, in China. I know that you have been wanting to do the, the made in the USA thing since the beginning. So did you ever price it to do overseas just as a point of comparison? Like, do you have any idea what that same thing would cost if it were made? I never, we never did. It was never even a consideration because yeah. we knew we were going to do a small run. That's the other problem. If you do, if you do it in, like, I don't know, I, Alec might be making his overseas. Do, do you happen to know? I, th- I think they're from Vietnam. I think. Yeah, which Not is possible, a real. But. It's a place to go for clothing. It's a real big deal to make stuff in Vietnam. That's where a lot of stuff is made. Um, I can only imagine he probably has bigger numbers, bigger volume, and you know, again, he, he, he might be more willing to take that risk. Alec is making a lot of great stuff. 
you know, nothing's, nothing's easy. He's making anvils, he's making the sanders and the pants. It's all very complicated things to manufacture. When I look back and like, aside from the jeans, the most complicated thing I manufacture is the ice pick just because it takes so many several steps. But we've sold probably over 8,000 ice picks at this point and it does not slow down. So I'm going to keep making them. They're fun to make and they're fun to use and they don't break. And, you know, occasionally somebody will say, oh, you know, my ice pick pulled out or I lost my sheath and I'll just send them a whole new one. You know, it's like kind of, it's never been overwhelming to the point where I like, there's too many to replace. So it's, it's, it's a good product. And the new knives that I made came up with the idea. We had 2000 manufactured. I wrapped them in newsprint and we send them and, you know, no one's going to complain about the size of it. It doesn't fit. My groin is, uh, you know, incapacitated or, you know, my pants are too short. You know, I don't know what all the stuff I'm going to deal with once they start shipping. So mm. all that being said, the main reason I started to manufacture the pants was to see if I can get somebody to be attracted to a licensing deal. And by establishing the way we wanted to make them. And Christine had every pulled out every stop for like exactly the way denim should be made because she's got such a history with denim. She said, uh, you know, the denim heads, the people that love denim will be attracted to them. And she's right because she has, she brings that crowd, all the guys that like to collect jeans and denim. And, and there is a huge group of people that love collecting certain types of jeans and handmade jeans and stuff. So a lot of our sales are going to those type of guys. And a lot of sales are going to the fans and people that support me. And I really appreciate that. I'm just hoping that somebody comes along and picks up the whole program. And when I say somebody, I mean like a company that already manufactures thousands and thousands and thousands of garments a day or a year or a week. And they'll come in and go, oh, this would be a cool little boutique line for us to try and sell. And we have somebody that has an audience they could promote it to. And then they could handle it and take over. I even talked to Carhartt about it a little bit. And they were vaguely interested, but, you know, they, they obviously have their own thing going on. And so we'll see where it goes. You know, once they start getting out there and people start promoting them. And then we have a little we have a little promotion coming up with the company, Kudora, that makes one of the threads that are woven into the jeans. I mean, that's how in the weeds we got, like the thread that is in the denim weave. Like we work with a company that sends their thread to the cone denim factory. So it gets woven in with the cotton so that the denim becomes like a, a blend of... You know, gives it some more durability. So, yeah, we, if you found that licensing deal, what would be the next thing you would make? Uh, we would probably make a couple different pairs of jeans. We've talked about making just like a regular sort of Levi's pair of jeans without all the extra mm-hmm. pockets on the front. Just a regular, like like I like five hundred five Levi's, so I'd make a pair similar mm-hmm. to that, but maybe with like I like the the watch pocket, so I have the watch pocket on the right side and the left side. That's that little tiny pocket above the regular pocket. So I'd probably just do a couple of little things like that. Just make things just a little bit left to center. So I'd have that maybe just like one pocket on the side. You know, just like it's its own, you know, just something a little bit unique that I find useful. So that would probably, so we'd probably make the double fronts, the double fronts denim on denim, double fronts uh, brown on denim. We can't do leather. It's too expensive. And then uh, the, the regular jeans, we just call them like, you know, the straight leg jeans. And then probably a couple different types of tops, maybe a shirt, like a denim shirt, so you look like you work at Blockbuster. How can I help you? <laughs> like a worker shirt, like a mm-hmm. like a like a denim worker shirt. You, you could probably actually license the Blockbuster logo pretty cheaply at this point, so you could <laughs> yeah. maybe put that on the shirt. That'd be awesome. Hmm. I could buy the last franchise from from Stan Marsh. There you go. That's a deep. You guys that's, remember that, the, that's the, the fake looking <laughs> reference? Okay. 
You remember the, the the fake looking denim knee patches that uh, moms across the world would would yep. iron on? Oh yeah, uh, well, that was I so had the weird. ugliest jeans as a kid. My mom used to buy me tough skin jeans, and the iron on patch inside the knee would always peel. It would peel. The edges would peel from being washed and dried a few times. And I remember being in school, going in the bathroom, taking the pants off, and like trying to pull that patch out because it was it was like <laughs> having a piece of plastic in your knee, and it would crack yeah. and break up. And I would peel it, like yank on it with all my might, and peel it off the, the jeans from the inside. <laughs> Tough skin jeans. But that's yeah, that's the saga of the jeans. You know, it's been successful. Obviously, we sold through, but there's been a huge investment, which we're not going to recoup a hundred percent. And that's the reason why we won't make any more. But we have a great portfolio piece. It looks really cool, and you know, whoever bought them is going to probably have an antique for all time. Because unless things change, I'm not going to make them again, unfortunately. Hmm. And it just honestly just gets down to dollars and cents. You know, like everything else that I make constantly is profitable. This just hasn't been that profitable, and and you know, in, in the the exorbitant effort, emails, samples, testing, samples, try on, don't fit, change, adjust, and every one of those things is a human being getting paid to do it. We must have made fifteen pairs of pants. You know, each pair of pants cost four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars hmm. to make. I joke because when I finally won, had one pair that fit me perfectly, everybody's like, wow, those are great. I'm like, aren't they nice? They only cost me $30,000, you know, because <laughs> that's really what it was at that point. That's how much money we had invested in time and energy and salaries. And yeah, you know, that's wild. Yeah. So it's complicated. Well, uh, and, you know, like I said, Alex taking a lot of big swings and I'm sure his profitability margin is, you know, is or isn't, you know, suitable to him and tolerable to him. It's uh, it's just uh, anything outside of just like stamping out a piece of metal is complicated. <laughs> and it's funny because like it's all about perspective. To you, stamping out a piece of metal is not complicated, and like the the path to getting like metal from one shape to another is just no big deal. Whereas there's somebody else somewhere who like yeah, making a pair of pants by hand from scratch, no big deal. It's just like exactly. you know, everybody has like a different skill set where they're coming from and a hundred percent. And that's why Christine was like, This is so easy, you don't realize how easy this is. It's gonna be so easy. And I'm like, Oh my god. It's like <laughs> Well what have you been up to other than uh, I'm doing the make jeans. it rain, I'm doing the make it rain thing, you know? <laughs> What's the reverse of that? What? Make it rain? <laughs> Yeah, the opposite of making it rain. Yeah. <laughs> making it rain to pay for stuff. The opposite of making it rain is making ice picks and knives. <laughs> That's the opposite of that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, besides that, I've been working on my, my truck. Uh, oh, well, just to sum that up, I want to thank everybody that's listening that bought a pair of jeans. Thank you so much. You, you're supporting a, a, you know, my, my Lewis and Clark effort in manufacturing clothing. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll get a deal with like a boutique deal with Cohart or somebody once it's out there. I know they're paying attention and there's a couple of other companies paying attention closely, especially Christine is, is deep in the mix in the fashion business. And when she's showing off what she's working on, a lot of people are like, oh my God, those are the coolest things. Like for instance, I worked this at Bel- Belfast, uh, Bell Staff is the store I worked at this weekend. I did it in, in person and I wore my jeans and it's all like high fashion guys, like Filson-y fashion guys and Bell Staff is a British brand that's kind of like Filson. It's like outdoorsy, you know, pilots wear their fancy clothes. Anyway, long story short, a lot of guys came in and they were like, whoa, where'd you get those pants? I'm like, oh, you like my pants? I made them myself with 
Christine, who was there. <laughs> so a lot of guys are reacting to them when they see them in person because they're they're a little they're like a little up up upscale. And like I said, they're all made in New York, and you know it's going to be hard for people to destroy them in the workshop. But I'm sure I can. Uh, but thank you. So they, we'll see where they go. You know, once they're out there in the public. But what else I've been up to is I, I finished uh, doing the hard work on the the truck last night. I Instagram which, which truck. Which Wait, one? I don't know. I lost track of which truck <laughs> you're working on. My 1985 C30 flatbed Chevy truck. Yeah, it's it was a it's a blue truck. You need to give them like little little nicknames. The like blue Trixie truck. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, the blue truck. The blue truck. So I did the rockers, all the rotted spots under the the passenger and the driver's door. I cut all that out and, and reinstalled new versions of it, which is was complicated. But you know, like I said last time, it, it was a thing I was real nervous to do. And you, know, you just do a little bit at a time. You just cut it out. I, I was nervous because I had to cut it all out, but I cut it back a little bit at a time until I got to where it looked clean and welded back in. Now I'm going to do a little bit of body work, but I got the fenders on. I got the fenders, the new inside wheel wells, the new outside fenders, the hood. Everything's on and lined up. Tonight I'll put the grill on and. Then I'll do some body work. It's uh, it's been a fun learning experience. It's like I always say, I, any one of us, anybody listening, you got to like raise your threshold of pain. I say pain in quotes because it's not necessarily pain learning something, but it's fear. You know, learn your threshold of fear. It's you just. When I looked at that truck a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, all right, this thing's going to be dismantled in my taken up the middle of my barn for the next six months. I know it. You know, that was like that was my fear. And so every night I had to put in a couple of hours, just to, even just like, you know, even when on date night, me and Taylor, we, we'd hang out, then I'd sneak back out to the barn and just do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And also like absorbing what needs to be done next so that when I get back to it, I can jump into it that much faster because, you know, I made a little mental list of some of the problems I need to solve and just getting past that threshold of, of fear and pain in any project, it just makes it that much easier. And also me knowing I don't want a dismantled truck. I don't want Trixie laying all over the shop floor, you know. So, <laughs> so and then constantly, it's really nice working inside on a heated floor. Like I lay on the floor and like it feels warm. I don't want to get up. Oh, it's so nice. I bet. <laughs> yeah. And like last night we were in the shop. It was 60 degrees in the shop. It was 25 degrees outside. It was, you know, it gets to the point where you like start to break a sweat. And it's like, oh, God, this is like amazing. So that's uh, that's sort of work, and then I'm going to start working on a chair, which we'll talk about when we, when we dig into the topic. This week I'm working on a, a steel and leather chair for uh, my next video. Cool. Right on, David. What about you? What have you been up to? I've got like three or four projects in the in the works or done. The 808 table that we discussed a couple weeks ago that's been done since before Thanksgiving. Hmm. <laughs> I'm waiting on sponsor approval like it's not usually an issue but sometimes when you work with these bigger companies it has to go through a, a chain of people and it just takes forever so i'm that one could be released any day now i'm hoping so because i'd like to move on with my life but um I, I, there's a I, I really don't like a project to take more than a week or two of my life i i have a i think it's my short attention span i just i want that era of my life to be done with because that seems like a month ago when i built that and then um just f 
finished up this repairing this 100 year old window, which was just a really quick video where I tried to mimic some uh, router profiles of of this old window for a friend. We try, we've been trying to do like these quicker videos, so maybe we can put out more in a week. And that one will likely be the next video. And then um, we, uh, yesterday we got the, uh, um, what do you call it, the the forge out, and we made a Christmas tree stand. Ooh, so that's cool. next to the house grew this weed tree. Like uh, this, this pine tree started growing up next to the house that wasn't supposed to be there. And the plan was to replant it somewhere else. Uh, it's growing really fast. And um, it never we never got around to replanting it. And now it's like, six feet tall and so um we using the using the forge was probably overkill for the gauge sheet steel that we were using but it was fun and i haven't used it in a year and we got it out we made this little basically a little cup and i kept welding it until it held water and then made some legs for it and then some eye bolts that screw into the sides to hold the hold the tree and it's super ugly just like the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree is also super ugly. So they, they complement each other in their ugliness. Nice. And it's when we were making it yesterday, we were calling it the Charlie Brown Christmas tree stand because it's just, mm. it's hideous. Um, but it was super fun. And that was the point of the video is just to like, uh, let's let's get the forge out. It's overkill for this. We could probably use a torch to heat it up and smack it into place. But um it is what it is. And so I'm not sure when that one will come out, maybe in a week or two. And then we finally started the um, go-kart performance engine build and decided it's cool. not going to be a bunch of short videos. It's going to be one one big video because the, the point of the video is the, the big picture. It is not the step-by-step of how to do all these little things. So I made, after going back and forth in my head, decided it is one big video about the whole what it takes to to build this thing and um so that won't come out until the spring because i want to get one race on it at least to show that it works um if it works so we'll see cool right on i was we had a um, hangout last night with people in the maker alliance the people that support i like to make stuff and there was a guy talking about how um, he had a tree kind of the same way, like a tree growing in the front yard that was kind of a weed and then just kept getting bigger and they never cut it down and got bigger. And he said it act, like looks specifically like the Charlie Brown Christmas tree. Like it's just a spindly little thing that hangs over at the top. And so instead of decorating the tree inside their house this year, they just decorated that thing outside. <laughs> just put like some lights and one big ball on the top of it. This particular tree. So it's like six foot tall and it's barely got any branches coming out of it. Um, and it's some sort of pine tree. I don't, I don't know what it is, um, but it's very thin. Like there's not many branches to hang stuff on there. And since it grew so close to the house, it grew up at an angle. So it is not straight. And I thought, oh, well, we'll just screw it into the Christmas tree stand and we can force it straight. But no, the whole tree, once we got it into the house, it, it curves one way. So it is so ugly and i love it it's <laughs> it's it's nice that's awesome well um let's see what i've been up to so did we talk about the light that i was making last week at all you're making a light yeah i guess not no okay well anyway i don't think so um 
Where I have the Bridgeport and the lathe set up, we were starting to shoot some other stuff over there. And we were talking about, like, man, we really need some light in this area. We could put a light on the ceiling, but then it'd be nice to have one that you could kind of adjust and put it down by the actual thing that you were cutting. And so then it's funny because, like, one project, which is making a piece for another project, also led to this light. So... You know, they're kind of thing causing a thing causing a thing. Anyway, so we made this light, and uh, it hangs from the ceiling, and it's on a track. There's a piece of aluminum extrusion on the the floor joist above, so on the ceiling. And we made a little trolley that goes back and forth on this thing, and then from that hangs this light, this two-arm, two-piece arm light. And I th- immediately thought about taking, like, a stand, like my microphone is on here, or, like, a desk lamp, you know, with the springs and the joints and everything those are there they're cheap i thought about using one of those but i really wanted to just try something different rather than just buying you know that and sticking it on so we ended up coming up with this idea for a joint that was a rotational joint but it had like locking kind of pins they're not pins they're like little knobs and so you can you have this rotational joint that you can uh, separate, spin a little bit, and then when you let it go back together, it locks into these little nubs. And so we ended up modeling that up and had a couple revisions on it. And then that mounts into the end of uh, just metal pipes. And then we wanted that whole thing to be able to lock into place at any of those positions. So I finally used the bridge port for something oh. like legit, which is cool. Um, I needed a, a mount to go in the end of one of these pipes to put a handle on so that we could put like a brake cable connected to this handle. And so the whole thing, this whole arm assembly is under tension with a spring and a bike cable. And then you go to grab this handle and when you pull the handle in, it releases the tension. So you can move the light and the arm around wherever you want. And when you let go, it retensions the whole thing and it holds its position. Oh, that sounds like fun. And it, yeah, it's still got some room for improvement, but it, it definitely does, kind of first draft, does what I wanted it to do. And then we have like a little LED light at the bottom that's on a ball joint, and it's positionable, so you can get it around around the bridge port, both sides, get it over the lathe and move it around a little bit. So it's going to be a good work light to have in that area. Um, and so I, I know, like, I can already imagine the comments are just going to be like, well, you know, Adam Savage made this kind of light and Tyler Bell made this thing <laughs> and you know this guy made this thing and this guy made this thing there's so many really cool camera mounts and arms and stuff that have come out in the last year and I've seen all of them but I just wanted to do something different and I tried to make a point about that like hey you know sometimes it's fun to just come up with your own thing instead of just yeah. duplicate what somebody else has done but is it uh, did this first iteration is it is it perfect or is this something you could make again and make improvements on? Oh, it's definitely not perfect. Yeah, I mean, it could be improved for sure. But I think it's less about the improvements would be less about geometry and materials and more about figuring out how to tension the cable more precisely. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I think the simplest way to do it would be to add right now the cable is in tension just because I pulled it in tension and then I put on a lock bolt nut at the top of it but I think adding in like a little twist cam so you can get it as tight as you can get it by hand and then like crank on it a little bit to add tension to the system 
would make it really hold a heavier light. It holds what what we put on it right now, but you know, if you wanted to make it a little bit stronger, a little bit beefier, you could. And then probably the material, like we 3D printed the joints. So it's two pieces of plastic that are rubbing against each other. We put some paste wax in them so that they don't bind, so that they can slip away and re-engage. But I think there's probably, like you could do the two pieces in different materials to get them to slide, but also grab a little bit differently. Hmm. Uh, maybe not using the wax, but adding some a really small tolerance in between the two pieces would be a better approach than adding wax. I don't know. There's room for improvement for sure. But it's one of those things like it does what it needs to do. And knowing me, I won't ever come back to it and do anything unless it just falls apart and I have to like make another one, you know. But, right. So, but it was fun to, you know, take an idea like that and really feel like I was kind of engineering. And Josh and I spent a long time at the whiteboard trying to figure out like how do you make a straight thing that can then become a joint that can rotate but hold that position. Like, it'd be easy to just, you know, cut a pipe in half and then, I don't know, just, like, have it spin on something, but you need it to be able to hold an angle, so it has to be able to re-engage. And first thoughts were, well, use a ball joint, and that's easy to, like, hand-wavy say, but then when you think about, like, what kind of ball joint are you talking about? Like, how do you manufacture your own ball joint? That's not not impossible. It's not that simple. So it led us down a bunch of different um, kind of idea paths, which a lot of them didn't go anywhere. They had to stop because it was just like, well, that's too far. You know, that's too... Like, we don't have the capability to make a steel ball joint or a this or a that. And so I'm, I'm pretty happy with where we ended up, though. I was going to say uh, two things. It's really important how often we deprive ourselves of light in a situation. Mm. And Patrick really made that important to me. Like everybody said, when you look inside the barn, they're like, oh my God, you have too many lights. Like, why do you have so many lights? We have six <laughs> rows. This was Patrick's idea. Six rows. You could light the place, you know, lopsidedly if you wanted to keep it a little dim. And they're all dimmable. Every row is dimmable. But working on this car in that much light is incredibly convenient and when we redid the machine shop patrick put up 25 led strips and i was like wow it seems like a lot but when it's all lit up i there's no shadows anywhere it's incredible so we deprive ourselves of light all the time and you don't realize how much light you don't have until suddenly you have it you're like whoa it makes life so much easier and yeah that being said, and then also, so if, you know, give yourself a, like a spotlight on top of your drill press or wherever it is you need it. But the there is a, a indicator arm called the Noga. You, know, you ever see the Noga arm? It's that knob you turn and there's two things and then you tighten the knob. I it's, seen that one. No. Yeah, it's called a Noga. It's a, an indicator for machine shop. So if you look up Noga arm... You've seen it. You know, when you see it, you're like, oh, I've seen that. But that's Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right so that's also really, they make a, a, that. that's good to have for, you know, you can put a little spotlight on the end of that. A lot of people use them for different things, but they're mainly for indicators. Mm-hmm. It's two arms at a joint in the middle and then a, like a tightening knob at the bottom. And then you put it okay. the way you want and you tighten the knob. That's interesting. I've seen this. We talked about something similar to this that was a camera arm, and now I see that Noga actually makes the same mechanism. They have a Cine arm, they call it, but it's the same thing as what you're talking about for the machining, but it's just a it's a camera mount. So we called it a uni arm or whatever, but 
Huh. It's funny how many different joints there are like that. Uh, I've been researching tripods over the last couple of days. I need a different one or a better one. And I'm so overwhelmed with all the good different tripods. They all have some sort of like different mechanism or the center yeah. column comes out and flips upside down. And they, some of them are this ball head might be made more for, for photography, but some of them might have this like half moon thing where it, you can level. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm like, you know what? I'll put this on hold. I'll research this <laughs> another time because I want to see them in person. So I want to go to New York and I want to go to B and H and I want to be able to feel and, and hold one. Yeah. Cause a good tripod is, stupid expensive like four or five hundred dollars for something that i want and i'm like it's it's insane but all the different mechanisms are just amazing and mind-blowing and confusing see yeah i agree and especially when you go to buy a tripod like all the different head designs just to get the camera on the thing like i can't I go, hey, Anthony, we need a tripod. Can you please find the best one in this price range? <laughs> right. But, he's listening. Um, he just turned his head. He's listening. <laughs> no, we don't actually need another one. Don't order another one. Um, <clears throat> so another consideration with this this light that we were working on was that we wanted Anthony to be able to handle it one-handed. I'm not so sure that, I understand. Whoa. Hello. Hey, now. My watch. <laughs> okay, good, because I wasn't talking to you. Anyway, um... <laughs> We wanted him to be able to hold the camera in one hand and then move the light around with another hand and not have to, like, loosen an elbow joint, move it, and tighten, you know. So that's why we went through with the uh, the kind of tension throughout all the joints from a single release at the bottom so that you have that little lever that you pull. Because when I was looking at some of these other, like the cinema arms, now that I know they're called Noga arms, they have uh, the tension releases in the elbow. And so you would, even in that case, you still have to use two hands because you have to support the end with the light or the indicator or whatever. Then you have to loosen the elbow, move it to where you want it, retighten the elbow. So that was another thing. And it's funny because like stuff like that, we didn't really talk about in the video, I don't think. But I know that's going to be one of those things where people come up and they're like, oh, you can just buy this from B&H for $161. So you could have just gotten this. Or you could have just gotten this. Or you could have gotten this. I'm like, well... Yeah, so I've, I've that's one of those things where I've just kind of had to, over time, get over the fact that, well, they're not all going to know why I want to do the things I want to do it, and I don't really have to explain it, you know, even though my tendency would be to, yes, I want to explain this to everybody. And so they understand why we did the things the way we did them, but we're just... It's also, it's also a sense of discovery. I mean, so many times I'm working on something I know exists, but I'm just learning and discovering the process of problem solving it. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, people might go, oh, you're going to go mm-hmm. buy that for $100. It's, you wasted all your time. You wasted nothing because you've exercised your muscles and you practiced using the machining and you practiced doing this. You know, it all goes to the bottom line, which is it's just nothing is wasted. But the people that want to be trolls are going to sit there and go, uh, you could have just did this. Yeah. It's got to be the same thing with, with making the jeans by hand. Um like you, you lose money, but you gain so much knowledge in the process of what it takes. And so if you ever do get the licensing deal, that's going to push you in the right direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then also now I've also established a style and a thing and all these different loopholes that we figured out. So when a licensing company comes along, they just take it over and we just guide them. Like we did all the dirty work that now makes it easy for them to pick it up. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that was kind of interesting about the whole like experimenting, like you're talking about, and trying to find a thing that even though I could have just bought a desk lamp for you know fifteen dollars from Amazon or whatever and use that, um, trying to figure out the joint. Like I said, it led us down a bunch of paths that were wrong, that were incomplete. They weren't going to be effective for this particular thing. But it also was really cool to have one of those aha moments that every once in a while you have that thing where you're just like, oh, this is the way to... I got it. I got it. I got it. And we always have this little conversation around here when we're brainstorming ideas like that. One of us will go, ooh, 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 ooh. And we know like, okay, somebody just got it. You know? And that. it's funny because <laughs> that whole the joint that we came up with was an evolution of the original idea that I thought of for that was a bike stem. So like, you know, when you take a, a, a bike seat and when you put it down in the, the pipe to tighten it in place, the bottom of the stem has two pieces cut at a 45 degree angle and there's a through bolt. And so, yeah, it slides up and it wedges them apart, making it wider and making it stay where you want it inside the pipe. And so, you know, before that, we were talking about a taking a pipe and cutting it at 90 degrees and trying to figure out how to add in a ball joint or whatever in that space. But then re- in the process of thinking about bike cabling, I got to bikes and got to the stem. And I'm like, oh, if you cut it at 45 and then you pivot around the center of a 45-degree angle, you have two pipes that can be straight in line or that can create a 90-degree angle or anything in between. And so that was one of those, you know, it's already out there. It's out there in a different application. Um, That joint exists in other places, but that was the first one of like, this is the geometry. And then Josh took that and figured out how to actually make it like snap, you know, positionally uh, into little dots or nubs or whatever you want to call them. But anyway, it was a lot of fun just to like, I don't know, engineer something to come, you know, have an idea. Uh, probably overcomplicate it, <laughs> but it was fun to actually get to that thing. So that's what we've been up to, mm-hmm. making an unnecessarily complicated light. That kind of that kind of leads a little bit into the topic that we, we this vague topic we were talking about, copying versus inspiration, which is something we always talk about. But I have a project right now, and uh, you know, kind of what you described sounds like copying or inspiration. You were inspired by to solve all your own problems, not necessarily copying. Now I have a project this week and I'm not sure I'm going to show it in the video. I'm going to be making, I guess you would call those campaign chairs, like these little chairs. You ever hear this campaign yeah. style furniture mm-hmm. is furniture that David packs up. Yeah, like campaign style is like, I never heard of it till Taylor explained it to me. It's like between camping and being on the move. Cause it comes from the old days when, when presidents, president elects or presidents that would, be wanting to be elected would go campaigning and they would bring like like basically a traveling office with them is that is that correct i don't believe that is correct oh okay. uh, I, thought it was, I, believe, I thought it was like wartime furniture yes so uh the british army came up with um this style of furniture that's it's uh, foldable knockdown and movable so um these desks and shelves and bookcases so like a like a general could tear down move them over to the next oh, site okay and see then, that makes um, perfect sense too up. but like i said somebody taylor told me that she thought it was for like because people the, traveling like the president I mean, you know what i mean like in the 1800s no one's yeah. tweeting no one's tweeting the because ca- campaign <laughs> is spelled different as 
as not as it's not like the political campaign. It's it's spelled completely different. I've got a book somewhere, but um, a couple of years ago or a few years ago, I made uh, the a, a campaign bookshelf, and I mean I this that. is a two hundred year old design, but it, it totally collapses. And so it's a mobile bookshelf. Right. So I'm making these little folding chairs, almost like a director's chair, but it's just a stool. It doesn't have a back and it's only short. Like the the cubic space it takes up is, say, like 12 by 12 by 18 inches tall. And then it folds into a flat thing. It'll be steel and with a leather sling for the butt. I haven't started it at all yet. All I have on my, my pad in front of me is just a pencil sketch. But I'm inspired by something I paid five bucks for at the flea market over the over the summer. I can copy it exactly. If I'm copying it, I mean, it would be made out of wood and canvas, and I'm going to do it out of steel and leather. So the idea that, should I show? It's such a simple design. It seems like something we've seen a thousand times. So in my opinion, I'm just making a version of something we've all seen. So inspired by, not copying exactly, but inspired by, I I guess I would say I'm inspired by and not copying. I'm copying dimensions. And mechanical. Yeah, I mean, I, I there's something. I'm not sure if it's just semantics, but like, there's something about copying, calling something copying when the original item is so common that, like, like, imagine you were designing a microphone. Would you be copying the design for a microphone? Like, most microphones are effectively the same. There may be a little bit visual difference. They may have some different technology on the inside, but like, they do the same thing. And so I don't think you would say you were copying. You were just making the next iteration of a thing. Now, if you are sitting down and looking at something that is uncommon, a very and actually I kind of have an example of this, but if you're looking at a very unique piece of antique furniture that, you know, made by hand, there were like 10 made or whatever, and you duplicate that, that's copying because they weren't mass produced. They weren't made by multiple companies. They were they were unique. They were special. And so you are making a copy of the special thing, not another one of the copies that already exist. I think anything that's mass manufactured seems kind of hard to say that you're copying it personally. I think it I think it, d- it depends on what your purpose is. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Like, are you, are you making this thing so you can make boatloads of money and you're just copying somebody else's design? Or are you making this thing to serve your own purpose, you know, then if it's just to serve your own purpose, then it's, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the emotional, uh, you know, the emotional tension. That's a really good point. So if you're making something to make a lot of money, all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> like for instance, uh, Frank in, uh, uh, in Europe, you know, uh, saw blades project, you guys know Frank, Frank, he sent me, uh, he sent me a, a message this morning that shows I could actually read it. This is copying, by the way. There's a, a Chinese website, <laughs> and they send me messages all the time. They're like, "Hey, get involved with us, and you know, we'll uh, bibbly b i l i b i l i bly bly." Is that he said? That sounded like you just made that up. <laughs> no, they have all my videos on their Chinese version of YouTube. Hmm. Bly bly, bly bly. Look, these are all my videos. <laughs> This just goes. This is all Jimmy uh, DeResta videos. All of them. Uh, <laughs> Every one of them is my video on Bly Bly. So that's I, copying. Um, yes, <laughs> yeah, I saw Bernie Solo's fidget spinner, his little chain and gear. 
some other comp I saw this video on Facebook and some other company I think was selling them. And I was like, Oh, Bernie got somebody to license his little fidget spinner. How cool is that? Like, no, they straight up copied it, he said. Hmm. Yeah. Lame. Yep, yep, yep. He's yeah. doing it. So yeah, that's copy. So I guess that is, you know, it's a really good point. It's like the intention. Now, I don't know what website, if if a website put up all my videos and said, we're just inspired by you. Oh, man, they have all my videos, too. (laughs) (laughs) And they've been reaching out to me to try and do a deal with me. Oh, weird. Huh. Wow, this is disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, <laughs> and the podcast just took a turn. Yeah. Um, recently, yeah. I made I made that chair, and it was inspired by. And maybe somebody would say I'm copying, but I found this this old chair from the 30s from some architect who is designing this chair, and he used dowel rods for the chair. And I'm like, I like that, but I'm going to take that and I'm going to make my version of it. So I changed the shape of the chair to something that I would like, and then used the pvc pipe and i would i'm i would say that's borderline copying or inspired by but i in my mind i took it made it my own design and made it my own thing me and bob me and bob are both going through the search engine of blible yeah (laughs) i was trying not to but um yeah it's it's a weird thing like i've got a, a a piece of furniture i found okay chairs speaking of chairs um you know, we've talked before about making chairs and about how I've been worried that it's too difficult. Not too difficult. I haven't done it because it's going to be difficult. And so I started looking around for chair designs as a point of inspiration, not to copy, but as a way to like, what's a unique chair that would be a good jumping off point? And I found one just kind of randomly ran across it. I actually wasn't looking for it at the time, but it's by Pierre Ginneret. I don't know. It's called a floating back chair. And it's funny because I saw this randomly on Instagram, took a screenshot of it, and then since then have seen the same design hmm. tons of times. And so I guess it's a, a more popular chair than I realized when I first saw it. But it is something very different and very unique. And I wouldn't make it exactly the same because it has um, like the the seat and the backing are kind of uh, not rattan, but like a, a woven kind of read or something and I wouldn't do that so I would initially I would just change it because of that at the very least but also you know I think if I were to actually do it I would probably show this and then point out the thing that like oh, well I don't want to make it this way so I'm going to take this part of it in a different direction or whatever but so to take that back to what you're saying about showing off the thing that inspired you I think it's beneficial for people to see I want to make this thing, but it's but it's because I saw that, and that thing was inadequate in some way, whether it's just a taste thing or it's broken or whatever. And so I'm gonna from that I'm gonna jump off and make my own version of it. I think that's important for people to see because then they realize that that's okay, you know, and that yeah. not everything. I'm rethinking the opening like, of this video. I'm sitting in a black room with no inspiration, and all of a sudden I have an idea. Like that's not mm-hmm. how ideas work, you know. Right. That's how my ideas work, no. but it's a different story. <laughs> no, no, you're right. But I you're think, Jimmy Duresta. <laughs> I think I might. I think I might. Uh, 
there 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 is uh, uh, an opening sequence which is fairly simple, which I could show, which could show, you know, because I just don't want to have to f- verbally explain it. But it, yeah, why not? It's, I, I could shoot it if it doesn't work. I won't use it. But everybody that sure. listens will know that I was inspired by this little chair. <laughs> One of the things that I try to do is be inspired by something that's not related. Like you know, if you're if you're making a box be inspired by a building the shape of a building or whatever um like i i love going to the antique store and just taking photos of everything and spending an hour and a half in there and not buying anything and i'm just looking for inspiration and sometimes that inspiration is not a it's not a one-to-one or like oh that is going to inspire this i might look at something see joinery or see the shape of something i'm like oh i could take that little element and apply it to a future project of mine and i don't and um and again in my mind that's not copying that is just being inspired by i'm taking somebody else's idea put and then executing it in a different way yeah i think there's you know it's one of those things that somebody could look at any inspiration based thing and call it copying if they really want to but the fact is pretty much everything we do is yeah it's an an effect of something that we've seen or done before and it's you could say everything is copying if you really want to look that far into it yes chairs are things that i've seen before so no matter what chair i make it's copying (laughs) because it's a place (laughs) to sit you know you could you could do that if you want to or you could just accept the fact that we create stuff based on the inputs that we've taken like jimmy always talks about you know you go around you take in all the inputs and then they mix up and they come out in a different way for different people. So, mm. yeah. Any other thoughts on copying? We had another part to this, David. Didn't you have something else kind of around this? Um, so, yes. Uh, Brian, I don't remember his last name. Sent me an email. I haven't responded to him yet. Um, but he was like, uh, a possible topic for the podcast would be like, what about when somebody else comes up? with the same idea as you at the same time so like jimmy and alec with the with the pants mm-hmm. um and i think brian in this email mentioned like he was working on a maker knife and then jocko released his and um how that may affect you finishing that product moving forward or do, do you stop or do you just you, you press on? Well, I, I told you guys uh, an example. I never told anybody this because it was completely pointless, but Jocko came out with the Maker Knife, and I had a concept, not exactly the same. It was just visually looked the same. It was a knife that worked exactly like anyone you find on the market with a finger loop in the back. So visually, it looks just like Jocko's, but it absolutely didn't work the same. Jocko had a completely different invention, and he had worked so hard on it, and he was already releasing it when I saw it, and I hadn't gone that far down the road with it. I had a design. I've been working with uh, a young man named Max, who's probably listening. Hello, Max. Max designed up this whole thing uh, in Fusion. We had a whole concept going on. And then when it came out, Max is like, what do we do with this? I was like, we just have to debt it because... It's, I can't come out with it, even though I've been working on it probably longer than Jocko because it's from several years before. There's, I couldn't put it out at the same time. It just it just would be too weird. And and Jocko did so much hard work, and I love him, and, and, and he had no idea what I was doing. It absolutely had nothing to do with what I did. His inspiration was completely from some other place. He never saw my prototype because I never showed it to anybody because it was just this little passive thing going on in the background. And Long story short, I was like, you know what? There's other knives to be made. I'll just do a different knife. 
let Jocko have that one with the finger loop in the back. And again, it's totally different than what I had. So that was that. That was that. And I never put out my little knife. Again, it was really more just like a physical design, not necessarily a mechanically different design. It was just more of a, a, an aesthetic change with a finger loop in the back for like a big keychain hole. And that was that. But so there are moments yeah. in time where you have to make the judgment call. You know, some people get proud of their design and they're like, I had it first. I didn't have that emotional charge at all because how could he wasn't copying me? He came up with a whole different invention. Part of his invention was the finger loop activating the knife. And I don't even know if I ever even told Jocko about this. He's going to hear this for the first time. But but again, there's so many inventions to be made. There's so many designs to be made. And he did such fantastic work on that. There was no reason for me to come out. And I guess it's just, let me just come up with some other product. It's no big deal. And, you know, occasionally people make ice picks out there and I see them make ice picks and I'm like, it's amazing. I'm still waiting for like Best Made or some bigger company that has a little bit more reach in the retail market to come up with their version of the ice pick. I'm just hoping that enough people will yeah. call them on it and be like, you got to. I've even said to my, and I thought this through, I said to my business partner, I'm like, let's reach out to Best Mate. Let's reach out to these several, let's reach out to Zippo and various companies and see if they want to do a partnership with me on my ice pick for the absolute sole purpose to just establish a contact. Mm-hmm. So that when they come up with their, they're going to say no, which is fine. I don't really want to deal with them, but I want to establish a contact with them so that they could say they saw it and they didn't want it so that they could never legitimately legally do their own version of it. Now I see companies like I'm working with Leatherman. I don't see, think Leatherman would do it without comp, you know working with me directly. But someone's going to see that the ice pick is slowly going to start creeping into like you know mainstream and air quotes, and <clears throat> be like, wow, we should make one of those. And they can totally do it. It's I can't protect it legally. I just have to protect it with my marketing. That's the best way to do it. Is like this is the original, and <clears throat> if somebody wants to make their version of it. Like I said, somebody's going to make a version of it where it goes much bigger than my my potential reach. And it's going to be a retailer. Or it's going to be, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be one of these little boutique companies. Like I said, Best Made is the, the company that keeps coming to mind because everybody shows me Best Made and goes, oh, my God, these guys make stuff just like you. Do you know these guys? And and I don't make it's, – it's not the same. It's just emotionally similar. It's not – there's nothing there that's mm. the same. You know, they have axes and cool stuff. That's you know, cool tchotchkes and lighters and clips and snaps and everyday carries. But <clears throat> so that's one way to protect yourself is at least establish a contact with somebody. You know, establish a, a establish a um, what am I trying to think? You know, a, a, a paper trail. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, and even like you know, talking about people doing things at the same time i mean we've talked before about how the two of you made stools initially before oh, yeah, you knew each how, other you made yeah, right. stool videos and stuff around the same time it still happens a lot um well even like i noticed this morning that tyler bell put out a video about making a uh, a dentist lamp which is like essentially what we made for the it's a different hinge mechanism and i think he took an old an old dental lamp an actual one you know and redid the light and stuff but effectively it's the same in that it's a movable light that's hanging from the ceiling there's no reason that either one of us would have known the other one was going to do something similar to that within the same couple of weeks but 
it doesn't mean we were copying each other. It just means that there was kind of like, uh, what's the word for it? When you have two people going down the same path at the same time, there's a word for it. I can't remember what it is. But Parallel. Parallel, parallel development. Yeah, it happens a lot. Um, you'll see a lot of technology companies end up with products that get released around the same time that are really similar. Sometimes they're copying <clears throat> stories on every potential platform ever. Um, but sometimes it's just that you know, things happen. They're results of the current like technology climate or the way society is. People yeah. just happen to go do it's in the air things. It's in the yeah. air, like all like those secret or like undetectable elements that are like tickling everybody's senses will tickle several people at the same time in different parts of the world. Yeah, or it happens. You know, the YouTube, the YouTubey. Oh, by the way, I, I've been con- I've been talking with my agent while we've been on this podcast, and I sent him the list of Bly Bly. And he's like, yeah, we're working with a company, a Chinese YouTube company. He goes, but I'm not sure this is the same one. So I went back and researched while we've been on the podcast, and I found it. And it's the woman that runs Bly Bly sent me a message. So he's like, cool, on it. So hmm. Bly Bly reached out to me to say, hey, get on our platform. You can make a lot of money. <laughs> And now I'm already on that platform, probably by just some random uploader. I don't think it's the company themselves that are doing it. But yeah. now we have a little bit more of a point of negotiation. So sometimes mm-hmm. being copied is an opportunity to... to for instance, there's this Duresta machining. There's this Duresta machining a channel. A lot of people it. send me the link to it. They're like, who is this? Is this you? Is this your brother? Is this, I didn't, how do you have access to all these cool machines? A company called Duresta Machining. It's in India. And it's, I, and my, I said to my, my patent trademark lawyer, I said, I go, can we, can we figure out how to get this guy's monetization? I don't, he can keep using my name, but as long as I get his monetization and we wrote to him and well, the funniest thing first, she said, I don't know if I told this story. I apologize. She, she's like, well, how do we get in touch with him? Cause there's no contact on his, on his page. So under one of the comments, he had just uploaded a video. So right. The first comment underneath it, I just said, Hey, could you email me Jimmy Mac.com? That's my email address. I've given it out a billion times. And he emails me an hour later. He's like, hey, this is so-and-so from Duresta Machine. This is this is the Duresta Machining channel. What can I help you with? And I was like, cool. So I just copied his email and I gave it to my lawyer. I'm like, this is the guy who runs the channel. He just emailed me back. He wrote to me and didn't realize my name was the same name as his. It wasn't like, oh hey, what's up, cousin? You know, nothing. It was just like, yeah, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> and so I voted to, and she wrote to him and he's like, he, he wrote a name, which was a you know South Asian name. I, I, I can't remember at all what it said. It was a South Asian name. It was not an American style name. And at the bottom, he's like, I use Duresta machining because that's my name, David Duresta. But his email address said a completely South Asian name, beginning mm. and, and dot first and surname dot at wherever. And so we wrote back and we're like, well, we have a trademark on Duresta. You can't use it. Not even, we have a trademark in the YouTube space and these several other spaces you can't use it. And he's like, well, I'll just change the name of my, my channel. And so he changed the name of the channel, but still puts out every video with Duresta Machining in the beginning of the video. So <laughs> he changed the name of his channel to Demachining. So he immediately like was like, oh, well, I'll just change the name of my channel. It, like He didn't fight and say, oh, it is my name. I'm going to stand up and... 
long story short, we have a little bit more work to do because he's still putting out videos with Duresta in the beginning. And I, like I said, he could still do that. Like, I'm going to see if I can take a piece of his, his, uh, his, uh, uh what do you call it? AdSense. I don't know if it's possible, but you know, I'm not going into this fight like with fists up, screaming and yelling. It's like, you know, it's it's actually a compliment that he uses my name. But, uh, well, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. Yeah. You know, it's, like I said, so it's an I opportunity. Wonder, it's an opportunity to do I, something. I wonder if stuff like that, though, like what the kind of the cost benefit is. You know, like even if you were to to get some of his AdSense over time. Like, is it worth the fight? Is it worth the yeah? It's it's also it's 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 my name being put out there. People like Duresta. What is this Duresta? Oh, you know what you should do? You should change all of your handles on every social media to the original Jimmy (laughs) Duresta or the real Jimmy (laughs) Duresta. Well, anyway, you guys got any other thoughts on on this type of stuff? No. 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 No, Jimmy, I have a uh, I have a product idea for you that we can maybe discuss in the after show, and and maybe you've thought about this, but this is something that yeah. I would like to have. <laughs> okay, from you. ice picky thing. Well, uh, no. thank you for the transition. The after show is something that the Patreon supporters get. It's a another podcast of us talking a little bit more after the show. That's why we call it the after show. Um, big thanks to everybody that helps us out over on Patreon. Hmm. There's a huge group of people, uh, and we're grateful for every single one of them. But our top supporters are Corey Ward, Alvers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, You Can Make This Too, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, Rich at Low End Design, Make, Shape, Create, and Odin Leather Goods. But um, everybody, no matter what level they're supporting at, gets the after show. So if you want to do that, go to patreon.com slash making it. We would appreciate it very much. Very much. Yes. You guys got anything to recommend this week? Oh, wow. I forgot we do that. <laughs> yeah. After five years, you just forgot oh. that we do that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a YouTuber named Troy the Maker, and he puts out a video every week, and it's always a laser project. It's, uh, he's got a Glowforge, mm-hmm. and he just does laser projects. And I think that's pretty cool um it's channels relatively small but i would like to see like i'm looking forward to seeing like where this goes because if you do a laser project every single week obviously you're going to become insanely good and you're going to get really creative and the projects are already good but i would just love to see somebody take the laser to the next level and i think this guy could be Hmm, could be the one to do so so something to uh start watching because i know if, if i did a laser project every single week of course it's go i'm going to like yeah. ch- try to challenge myself to do something different and um yeah so i like he's just got this one tool and this is what he does and he does it well it's so funny that that to me and probably to all of us seems like such a foreign thing like it's hard for me to even imagine. What if I had one tool hmm. and I just focused on that one thing and got super good at it? <laughs> what a mind blowing idea mm-hmm. <laughs> that everybody's done all throughout time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. That's right. cool. I'll check that out. 
Um, you know who I'm going to? I'm just going through my subscriptions trying to find someone that deserves a mention. And I see Justine Silver. Justine won Making It Season 2. And she was a she was a, a producer on Season 3. So I got to spend this last trip out in California spending some time with Justine. She's an amazing designer. She's That's a great cool. person. And she's got really good ideas. She worked uh, at Anthropology for years as like a, a as a, a set designer. What would you call that if it was in a store? It's not a set. It's a diorama. What would you call it? Windows, no, like a window a, designer? Yeah, it's like a display. <laughs> display, yeah, yeah. So, you know, if, you, if anybody's been to anthropology, they spend a lot of money and, and creativity on doing interiors. Anyway, so I just sent you guys Justine's thing. Justine Silver, she's just starting on YouTube. You know, she's trying to, like, turn that maker title into something. And she, we talked a little bit about YouTube, and I just said, you just got to keep making good content. And she put out a video today, in fact. So go subscribe to Justine and say hello and give us some... YouTube community support. So I just went to search for her channel on YouTube. Turns out there's actually a wrestler named Justine Silver as well. That's oh. not who you're talking about. I assume. Nope. Justine Silver. Okay. She's got two views on her last video, which was put up like 10 minutes ago. And uh, it's. Uh, I just sent you a link in the email. Cool. I will be sure not to link the wrestler. Yeah, that's the, that's the that's the hard part with YouTube. Like you gotta you gotta like earn that search. Fine, you gotta earn it. For some reason, I mean, they like you don't just go on YouTube, sign up, and then all of a sudden you're in the search engine. It takes a couple of weeks. She's been on, but also like if you don't get a lot of traffic, if you're not getting a lot of eyeballs right away, YouTube's like, oh, talking about this one. Like that's like how the search engine kind of talks to you. But like, you mean this? Like nobody wants to look at this one, really? You're like yeah, that's the one I'm looking for. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It probably always defaults to the wrestler. Yeah, just in general, I would imagine. Well, as you know, it's just it's some dude yeah. in the basement turning like, knobs and stuff and yeah. connecting <laughs> wires like, like the old telephone. Yeah, there's like system. two arms, but you can't mean this one, right? And then you're like, well, yeah. And he just like yanks it out quick. You're like, wait, that was the one I meant. You sure? And he sticks it back in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the search engine flickering. Oh, ow. <laughs> well, um, mine is actually a, a course that I haven't taken yet. Mark Rober just announced that he is doing an online course for creative engineering, and it looks really awesome. Mark's great. Mark has brilliant ideas. Um, And the fact that he wanted to make a course that goes really deep into start to finish, how he comes up with an idea, how he prototypes it, and how he, you know, works through it with paper on the table before he gets to the prototype and all that stuff. That's really interesting to me. Um, just to see what his process is going to be. It looks like the course is $249, but it's a month long, I think every day or probably every weekday, you know, there's a a video component to it. It goes through three projects. And I think you're supposed to be able to walk out of the course with your own three original engineering projects. sounds really cool. I went and, excuse me, I went ahead and signed up for it just because I know how he is. And if he's willing to put in the amount of time it would take to make a course, it's got to be good. So that's, you know, just an assumption on my part. But um, I'm pretty excited about that, just to, to be able to get somebody, uh, an actual engineer's perspective on how they, like, work through their ideas. I think that's cool. So I'll put a link to that if you're interested. I think the course is starts in the beginning of January. And it's a month-long thing, you know, and he'll, I would assume he'll do it a couple of times during the year. It's not like an always open thing, um, but that's that's what I'm checking out. 
Mm-mm. You guys got anything else for this week? Mm-hmm. Oh. I'll take. Oh man, my recorder thing only says thirteen Uh-oh. minutes. Mine says one point oh three. So you sure you're not one hour and three minutes? Yeah, that's what mine says. Well, if you're listening to this and the podcast nope. is 13 minutes long, okay. it's David's fault. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I'm sure it'll work. All right. Well, thanks yeah. for listening, everybody, and we'll uh, catch you next time. Love you. Thank you, guys. Bye.